Well, we're studying the book of Ephesians. I would invite you to take your own copy of God's Word and find your way to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll continue in our study of this paragraph in which Paul addresses wives and husbands, followed by children and parents, followed by slaves and masters or employees and employers. In fact, he covers the two areas where we spend almost all of our lives, home and at work, and gives us specifics on how we're to live out a spirit-filled life in those categories, in those areas. We've come to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. We've spent last week, and we'll spend this week and next week, looking at the responsibility of the Christian wife. In fact, we've entitled this little three-part series, The Meaning and Extent of a Wife's Submission. Keep that in your mind while I read the whole paragraph and put it in our, in our RAM or random access memory so we'll know exactly what we're referencing. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But... As the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members, parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also as to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I was asked last week by someone when we started this paragraph, Rick, are you, are you concerned about the possible repercussions that people could have about preaching this text? Does it, does it make you afraid at all? And I thought about that. It's a good question, but can I confess to you, I'm far more terrified of not preaching it how can we come to what God has said here and edit or skip it when we didn't do any other word in the book of Ephesians? So I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that willingly and lovingly says, what has God said and how does it apply? Listen, it's not an easy thing for me as a pastor, a husband, a man to instruct women or wives how to be submissive to their own husbands. But thankfully, I don't have to because I didn't write this. Instead, God, through the Apostle Paul, as recorded in Holy Scripture, gives this command to wives. I think it's 
fair to say we all understand culturally that this idea of submission of a wife to her husband carries a very negative reputation. But as with resistance to almost any doctrine or any command by the scriptures to our, against our own fleshly humanness, problem is typically that we don't understand it. Problem is we don't always like it because it tells us to be different than we are with different affections. There are, I can tell you, if you ever wanted to go to lunch, I can tell you stories as a pastor of things that have happened in the church, things that have happened in the pulpit that would last a long time. Two of the most stunning ones that ever happened while I was preaching. One, Aaron Johnson was with me and we were in South Africa. I've told you this before. Uh, I was listening to him teach a Sunday school class in one meeting in Africa. And um, I was sitting in the back, had put my briefcase down, my uh, Filson bag and Picked it up at the end. Uh, he did an outstanding job. We were walking from that building over to the other building, the worship center where I was going to preach. And uh, about halfway over, I just kind of felt strange. And I looked down, and I had left some gummy bears in my, uh, my bag. And I, I don't, I, I, more than a 1,000 ants found it. And my hand was dark with ants that were now crawling up my shirt. And we walked right in, it was singing, and then I was up to preach. And so um, I, I, my, my, I was just praying, God, don't let this be fire ants. God, don't let this be fire ants. I'm going to make such a spectacle. But fortunately, it was just uh, carpenter ants, and they were just crawling all over. And Aaron asked me afterwards, what was going on? Because as they were crawling across my glasses, and I kept blowing them off my glasses, and was terrified that if I slapped one, I didn't know what kinds they were, that they would all say, let's, let's eat this guy. Um, it was awful. It was awful. But not nearly as bad as another experience I had teaching the issue that we're talking about today. I was on staff at Grace Community Church and uh, was preaching in big church, as we called it. About 3,000 people were there. Halfway through the sermon, something happened I have never experienced before or since. At the exact same time, halfway through the sermon, when I was preaching on a wife's submission, 700 to 1,000 women instantly got up and went out of the building, some running, bolted. Now, it's amazing how you can multitask and think about a lot of things when you're preaching. Well, I wasn't much thinking about what I was preaching, but was just thinking, what did I say? When am I going to have to clean out my office? How quickly will I be fired? I mean, I'm literally trying to say stuff and thinking, what did I say? I'm going back in my iPad. And I couldn't figure it out. During that time at Grace Church, when you checked your kids in, they gave you a little pager. And that pager was so that if they needed to get you to come and deal with your, your child, they would, there was a code for that. But if it was an emergency, it would be 911. Turns out that that morning, the system malfunctioned. <laughs> and every single woman at the same time got a 911 on her pager. <laughs> and they all ran out. And I'm preaching on women submitting to, wives submitting to, to husbands. And so I, at first I thought, well, this will go down in church history somewhere, and I don't know that I'm going to be the hero of this story. This, 
We've been in this series that examines God's word, what it says about wives as he begins talking about the marriage union and the marriage bond and the marriage relationship. And today we're going to continue to look in a part two of this little mini-series on what it means to be a godly wife, to honor the biblical call to be a submissive godly wife. And since we don't have a pager system, if, if a bunch of women run out, please don't. Um, God has created a world that functions with hierarchy, with order. In other words, there are spheres of authority that have been placed by God in every area of life. Three main ones that you're all familiar with, the family, the church, and the state. For example, he uses the protection of the state to serve its citizens in Romans 13, 1 and 2. He uses the protection of elders and leaders and pastors in the church to lead and serve his church. And he uses the protection and service leadership of a husband to care for and serve his wife and his family. Now, an important note, as we continue in on this study, all earthly submission that's not the Lord Jesus himself, all earthly submission is submission ultimately to authorities that will inevitably fail. So I know going into this, this, uh, this, this series about asking wives to submit to their husbands, as Paul did, that you're, you're going to submit to authorities that sometimes fail. That's a given. But on the flip side, when it says, husband, love your, life, love your wives, that also means love them when they are not as lovable as they usually are. Failed leadership does not negate the position of leadership. Just because there's corruption in politics, that doesn't mean you can disobey and dishonor the government. You can't say, I don't like who the president or the governor is, so I'm just going to run red lights. They're not in charge of me anymore. We'll see how that works out for you. Just because a coach makes a, a bad call doesn't mean that you can now disobey or dishonor him or a referee does the same. Just because a teacher is unfair to you in an assignment or on a test does not mean that you can disobey and dishonor him or her. And yet we are witnessing a worldwide, whole-scale, seismic cultural shift away from dishonor, away from honoring, rather, authority and the hierarchy of order that God has placed in our lives. This shows up dramatically and how we understand marriage. I told you last week I would come back to these two terms. They are very important terms. They need to be defined and distinguished. Remember that headship and submission are not concepts intended for men to impose their wills on their wives. It's ways that they serve them and protect them and care for them. There are two categories of theological understanding that kind of group together theological perspective, and we need to decide which camp we belong to. First of all, there's complementarianism. It comes from the idea of complement, that women were made to be, wives were made especially to be a complement to their husband. But listen, men and women were created equal in essence before God. They are both bearers of the image of God, male and female. He created them to bear his image. They're both equal in dignity, equal in honor, equal in focus of the Lord for giving love and affection. But God's design and creation was that there would be a head, a leader in the relationship. 
Just as there is leadership and structure and order in the Trinity himself, which we'll see in just a minute in 1 Corinthians, there are roles and relationships in marriage. There's headship and there's following. The opposite of that is a theological perspective called egalitarianism. This says that God created male and female equal in all respects, even their roles that have been clearly distinguished in the scripture. There are little to no limitations in egalitarianism between men and women in marriage or in the church. Our church takes a unapologetically complementarian position as we take the plain reading of scripture. Our church will take this series from a complementarian position as will be explained from the rest of the book, excuse me, the rest of the paragraph here in Ephesians 5. Verse 22, wives be subject or submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord. The reason a believing wife is called to submit to her husband is rooted in the theological reality of the husband's headship. Study that carefully in just a moment. Because verse 23 says, for because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. The word rendered there submit to or submissive to or subject to is not in verse 23. It's borrowed from verse 22, which has led some people to say that everybody submits to everybody and there's no hierarchy. No, listen to how, it, how it's read in the original without the verb. It's stronger actually without the verb than it is with. Paul says in verse 21, be subject or submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. Christians should submit to one another. We talked about that, how we should lead each other's souls to a greater understanding of God and obedience to his word. So be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. But it doesn't say husbands to your wives. You say, well, does a husband not submit to his wife? That's called mutual submission. In a Christian sense, of course, I submit to my children. In that, and from that perspective, if they say, dad, you're not being kind to mom or you're not being kind to my brother, that, I'm submitting to what they would say because it's in the fear of Christ. But in terms of headship and leadership, that's completely different. So we'll see in the following verse in just a moment. The idea of this submission is the notion of order or position. God has ordained, God has established that leadership and authority roles exist within the family. There is no egalitarianism between the parents and the children any more than there is between the husband and the wife. And the text before us, by the way, is the most exhaustive and the most thorough about a man's relationship to his wife and her relationship to her husband than any other place in the pages of Scripture. Paul begins the paragraph with wives. And let me just say, because I'm a few weeks ahead of you in studying this, that lest you think, ladies, oh, that's heavy. What about the husbands? Oh, my, just wait. The heavier responsibility of this passage is way more weighted for a husband. God's beautiful, God's good design then of headship and submission 
I think have been so poorly taught and in some measures so poorly exemplified or lived out that there's so much distortion about this that people don't like this idea because they've seen it from such a distorted perspective. But men, if you were a loving head and a gracious leader and protector and shepherd to your wife and your children, and wives, if you were submissive to that sweet and godly leadership, it would look far different than the distortions that have been painted. Let me remind you that verse 32 says, this is a mystery. After talking about the Genesis account of, of husbands and wives, he says, this is a mystery. You say, what is a mystery? We, we already knew about Genesis because we have Genesis. No, the mystery that there's a reciprocating analogy between marriage and the gospel and the gospel and marriage. That's a mystery that Paul is unpacking now. He's saying the gospel is so unmistakably and inextricably, inextricably linked to marriage that it actually illustrates it and that marriage illustrates the gospel when done properly. No other reciprocating analogy exists in the Bible but this one, where both things illustrate the other. And we'll see Paul bouncing back and forth as we go through this. We started this last week. We looked at three questions for clarifying confusion about submission and marriage. Three questions for clarifying confusion about submission and marriage. You could even say distortion about it. And we only got the first question answered last week. And we'll only get the second one done this week. But let me revert, review the first one before we go on. The first question is this. How should submission work in marriage? How should submission work in marriage? I mean, it tells us in verse 22, wives, be submissive, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. A quick review. Paul's been addressing the church at large, but beginning here in verse 22, he starts a staccato, rapid-fire application of what it means to walk under the control of the Spirit at home and at work, the two places we spend most of our lives. He addresses wives and husbands, children than parents or fathers, slaves or employees than masters or employers. But he begins with the wives. And interwoven through this entire paragraph is how marriage should illustrate the gospel while at the same time saying the gospel illustrates marriage. It's going to be strategic for him when we get later in the passage that he will go back in verse 31 to the Genesis account, Genesis 2, and tell us this is not something he made up. These ideas go back to God's order in creation. Again, the verb of verse 22 is borrowed from the verb of verse 21. It's hupatasso. Let me read you right out of my Greek dictionary to cause to be in submission or a submissive relationship, to be subject to or subordinate to. Submission involving recognition of an ordered structure. This doesn't mean you just respect. It means you, you find yourself in order under a hierarchy that God has ordained. George Knight, who's done PhD work on this, has published a book on male headship, says this, quote, every passage, this is interesting, every passage, let me just supply 
That's Ephesians 5, Ephesians 3, 1 Peter 5 predominantly. Every passage that deals with the relationship of the wife to her husband tells her to submit to him using this same verb, hupotasso, end quote. What does Paul mean by this? What does it mean to tell a wife to submit to their husbands? Well, this was not anything very new. I did some research this week that said that most marriages happened in that day uh, with a husband who was between 18 and 22 and uh, a wife who was right after puberty, usually 11, 12, 13 years old. Usually there was about a 10-year gap between the older and the younger. That was normal. So the idea that she would follow him, he was further along in life, wouldn't have been strange, wouldn't have been a mystery for sure. The mystery is how she is to honor him and how he is to love her that has references to how God through Christ loves and cares for us. He gives an important nuance in the parallel passage in Colossians to what this means. Wives be subject, Colossians 3.18, wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, let me just tell you, I'm going to say this a few times today. We're going to go deep dive into what that means next week. Because if you look and sneak ahead, it's pretty heavy in verse 24. As the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. What does that mean? Everything. Well, there are limitations to that everything. As is fitting to the Lord, he tells the Colossians. In Paul's day, no one would question that pattern of submitting to her husband on behalf of a wife or even a child submitting to his parent or slaves submitting to the master. Even the pagans understood that social code. But this radical view that a husband loves and cares for his wife as Jesus does his bride, the church, that's new. What does it mean then? We did deep dive into this last week. Submission means that you honor the Lord, wives. You honor the Lord by how you treat your husband's leadership. And when he says, as to the Lord, it doesn't mean that, you know, Jesus and your husband are synonyms. You know, whatever you do to Jesus, you follow me the same way. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. As to the Lord means your obedience is rendered to him even more than to your husband. I know the short introduction leaves a lot of questions, but we're going to come back to a lot of those next week. So just kind of hold some of them until then. Submission of a wife in marriage is based on Christ's role, Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. And as we will see, not only do wives have the responsibility to submit to and follow their husbands, men have the tremendous responsibility before the Lord to lead in the way that Christ leads his church. Now, in most of your minds right now is, but what if he's not a Christian? Should the wife still submit? Hold that thought because Peter actually answers that directly. And we'll look at that last week when we look at what it means to submit in everything and the limits of that phrase. As I've said, the problem is with accepting and applying these principles. What about an abusive man? There are limits to that kind of submission. 
What about an ungodly husband who's asking you to do sinful things? There are limits in submission there. We could also say, how do you love a wife who is unlovable? Well, there are ways to do that that the scripture regulates as well. Hang on to those questions. We'll come back. So what does it mean for a Christian wife to submit to a husband, her husband? It means to honor his position, to follow his leadership, and to encourage his authority in your home. Let me say it again. It simply means to honor his position. He's the head. To follow his leadership, to let him lead, and to encourage his authority in your home. Ladies, it means honoring your husband's position without competition for headship. You know what this is like. Every, if you don't understand it, I can promise you your kids do. It's called playing mom and dad, right? They know, well, if I go to dad and he says, no, mom may be a softie, and so I'm going to go to her and she say yes, and the mom does that behind the husband's back, that's undermining leadership. Submission means following his leadership without torpedoing it. With the children, even with your parents or his. It means knowing the difference between being challenging and insubordinate versus appealing and offering your wisdom. Being submissive doesn't mean you never offer your wisdom. My marriage wouldn't work like that. My wife's way smarter than me. Why would I do or want to do anything without her insights? It means trusting God, ladies, when you disagree with your husband. It means that you know how and when to appeal to your church leadership if your husband's leadership is, suggest is suggesting sin, and the church is here for that. Martha Peace writes this, a wife is to be submissive to her husband in all things unless her husband asks her to sin. A submissive wife is not afraid to do the right thing. A wife is to be submissive even if her husband is not a Christian. A submissive wife does not dishonor the word of God. A wise wife will seek training and counsel on submission from a godly older woman. End quote. Ah. I can feel it. I can hear it. Yes, but. Yes, but what about. Next week, just one more week, please. One more week. We'll talk about that. How should submission work in marriage? A Christian wife ought to follow the leadership of her husband as a way to honor her Lord. This means that she follows him in a way that makes much of God. It doesn't mean that she follows him in a way that makes her sin. And if his leadership is sinful, the church is to come alongside the couple to help. That's all review. Why? Three questions for clarifying confusion about submission in marriage. Number one, how should submission work in marriage? Number two, why? Why should a wife submit to her husband? It's a good question. Why should you do this, ladies? Paul tells us in verse 23, for or because, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because or for, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. For any Christian woman exhorted to follow the leadership of her husband to submit, it begs the central question, why should I do that? 
Paul very much understands this question. And he's going to give you the reasons why, and it is glorious. Paul says that the husband is the head, kephela in the Greek, the head of the wife. Now, to understand what that word means, and there's a lot of debate between egalitarian and complementarian circles. There's a lot of debate about what this is. I'm not going to go into it all except to say that the egalitarians tell us it only means source, and the complementarians say, no, it means head and authority. What I find interesting is I was reading a, uh, a lady who called herself an evangelical feminist this last week who spent a few pages talking about how mythical uh, the Genesis account of creation is, that it's not to be taken literally. But then a few pages later said, head, me, head or kephelah here means source just because, I mean, because Eve was taken out of Adam so, see, that's the source. And I went, wait, wait, wait. You just told me you didn't believe that. And now we're supposed so. What does it mean? I think we find out best in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4 where Paul uses the term. He's speaking of God. He says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Authority. The leader. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It means authority, leader, or head. It's the husband's headship that is specified, by the way, as a fact, not a command. Oh, man, this starts getting really convicting. Paul doesn't say... The husband is to be, become, or be a better head. He says the husband is the head. You know what that means? You're either a good one or a less than good one. You are the leader or head of your home. The question is, what kind are you? It's this husband's headship that is specified as factual, it's not a command. What does that mean? Well, I wish we had time to do a long study on this, but just as a quick aside, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, verses 3 to 12 talk about this issue and relate it to God. Paul says in verse 3, 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, I want you to understand that, listen to this, Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, speaking of a husband and wife, and God is the head of Christ. Please note that this headship is not grounded in culture, but in creation and in the person and nature of the person of God. Paul continues in verse 8. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created from the woman for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. This is talking about being the helper. Therefore, the woman ought to be ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is a woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. I love this because he says, men, lest you think you're so special, without your mama, you wouldn't be here. In other words, be careful saying I'm the head and you got to submit and enjoy your submission to me. Remember that you came from a woman, for as the woman originates from the man, so the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. 
Now, I'm not going to take the time to go here, but just know that this idea that the order of headship and submission is rooted in the creation is not only apropos for the marriage relationship, but Paul uses that same argument for leadership in the church. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, a woman must receive instruction with entire submissiveness, same word. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, not to never talk, but to not teach or exercise authority over a man. For, here's the reason, it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. Back to our kephelah, the word head. It means authority over, leadership, headship. In the context here in Ephesians 5, it becomes unreasonable to understand how Paul could mean anything other than authority over when he relates it to Christ's headship over the church. F.F. Bruce says this, in this context, the word head has the idea of authority attached to it after the analogy of Christ's headship over the church. End quote, and I agree. We use the same understanding when we speak of the head of a business, the head of a university, the head of an organization. It's the final authority. It's the ultimate leader. That's what we mean by that, and that's what is meant here. So this text clearly teaches that the man is the head of his wife in the marriage relationship. But how does he lead? How can he be the head? Tells you right here, as Christ is the head in the church. This is not the leadership of a dictator, but that of a director. Two extremes we have to be careful of. I mean, when you're trying to travel this road, men, and I know this is, the, this is addressed to the women, but there's much for us men that we need to look at here. There are two ditches on the side of the road. You can't fall into either ditch. The first ditch is domineering authoritarianism is exactly what it sounds like. You're just large and in charge. Overbearing leadership that does not honor your wife as a co-heir of the grace of God, as Peter calls it. A husband's headship over his wife and even over his children, as we'll see, has fixed limits. What do you mean by that? A husband can never command what God forbids, nor can a husband forbid what God commands. There are limits. And when that leadership leads towards sin and sinfulness, ladies, you're not called to submit to that head, but your head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Domineering authoritarianism. The other ditch not to fall in is Passive inattention. Passive inattention. This is flattening out headship so that a unique burden of leadership is given to the wife instead of yourself, instead of the husband. Willingly letting her or pushing her to take your place as the leader of the home, the chief disciplinarian, the chief parent, the one who makes all the decisions. I want to I be as careful as I am clear here. Does that mean that a woman never gives leadership in the home? Not, not even close. Look, I, 
We decided, we found out real early in our marriage that uh, Kim is the better money manager than me. I mean, I had to learn that if you go to the ATM and there's money in your account, that doesn't mean you can just take some. She, man, she's, she is so sharp and so smart. She, she like gets very excited when the accounts and the checkbook balances. I don't even know what that means, but I think it's good. So we decided a long time ago that she was going to manage the finances. She checks the boxes, pay the bills. She enjoys that. You say, well, you abdicated your leadership. No, no, no. About three times a year, Kim and I get together and we go over all of our finances, all of our budget. We make decisions about every nuance of our, of our, of our finances and she manages it. But ultimately, I'm the backstop for that. But I'm the backstop along with her, not instead of her. So a wife giving gifted leadership in the marriage is not any subordination of headship unless it's subordinating his headship. In simpler terms, the extreme of dictatorial leadership and the sinful extreme of abandoned leadership are both disobedient to the Lord. How can you stay away from those ditches, those extremes? By looking at the headship of the Lord Jesus. That's how. He's our example. Stated as clearly as again, he is the example. So men, our leadership in our homes, specifically with our wives, but as we'll see later, this applies to our children as well. Our headship is based on character, counsel, convictions, cooperation, and care. And a godly man will recognize that he is called to lead and be sensitive to a woman who is called to follow him. I remember studying this early in our marriage, and I just had a crashing, sickening feeling in my stomach when I realized <laughs> the person I know and love the most, my wife Kim, is called to follow my leadership, follow the leadership of and submit to the man who I think is the worst I know, and that's me. Man, this leadership doesn't go to your head. It means you're sensitive to her responsibility to follow you. It means you're spiritually mature enough to lead the people closest to you, your wife and your children. Look what it says. As the Lord, as Christ, that's our paradigm. This means a husband is to be a servant leader, a shepherd leader, a caring leader, a sacrificial leader, a selfless leader, a deliberate leader, a protective leader. We protect our wives. This, I take this seriously, even in some weird ways. Ever since we've been married, and I think I got this from my dad. Ultimately, I think I can attach it to the Lord. I've always slept closest to the door. And the reason is, if something comes in or if something happens, I, I want to be there to protect Kim. 
Now, when we go and stay in a hotel, sometimes that's the opposite of what we're used to, and that really messes you up, by the way, when you're sleeping on the wrong, wrong side of the bed. Now, before you say, wow, Rick, what a hero, uh, a couple of years ago, Kim and I were staying at a, at a hotel in Florida at, a, at the Exposure's graduation. And in the middle of the night, we, we forgot to do that little extra lock that comes across, you know, the latch lock. In the middle of the night, the desk got something wrong and gave a room key to our room to someone thinking it was their room. And so they just bolt right in and, and uh, uh, Kim says, excuse me. Oh, sorry. And there was panic. This whole thing went down and th then, she, then she woke me up. <laughs> and I wasn't quite the protector that I thought I was. <laughs> I said, hey, just kick me towards the door next time or something. So anyway, Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, even the son of man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That was our Lord in Luke twenty two twenty six, he said, let him who is greatest among you become the youngest or the least and the leader as the servant. Men, let me make it simple. Headship means service and sacrifice along with provision and protection. We serve them. We sacrifice for them. We provide and we protect you say, how, how intimately familiar is a husband to be with this? Well, verse 28 says, you love your wife like your own body, which we protect and provide for in the deepest way. Come back to that. So when you look at Christ, the headship, we don't see egregious power, unkind privilege, dominating expectations. We see a loving, giving, sacrificing, serving, providing, and protecting Savior. Pretty tall order, huh, man? So, husbands, men, when we get married, when we have children, we are called by God to abandon a course of living for ourselves in exchange for a life of living for your wife and your children. Jesus' central command to woo his disciples was what? Follow me. means integrity. It means being someone that your family wants to follow. And when you're not that way, it means asking forgiveness and confessing sin and saying, help me be that man because that will happen. One writer says this, if someone needs to get a second job, it's me. If someone needs to speak up to my parents or in-laws, it's me. If someone needs to have the painful conversation with a child about whom they're dating, it's me. If someone needs to say no to more requests so that there's more time for marriage and family, it's me. That's headship. But ladies, what about a, a husband who's committing sin with or against you? Do you have to submit to that? 
Augustine said, he taught that if a husband sins against his wife by committing fornication or adultery or is physically abusive, his wife should not submit to him, but rather regard God himself as her head, not her husband, end quote. We'll come back to that specifically next week because there are limitations to this headship that we need to recognize that the scripture gives us. But I love the end of verse 23. He himself being the savior of the body. There is a sense in which the husband is a savior figure to his wife and children that's modeled after Christ who is the savior of the body, the church. That does not mean, let me be clear, it does not mean he's the savior, that the husband is the savior from eternal doom or hell as Jesus is for the church. But the analogy is that he acts as her protector in a temporal sense. He saves her from harm. He saves her from anguish. He saves her from pain. He protects her with everything he is. What a great place to say, is Christ your Savior in the eternal sense? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, Satan, and hell itself? Do you believe that he is the only way that your sins could be forgiven by taking his, your sin on his account on the cross and giving you his righteousness by faith and rising from the dead after he was crucified by the Romans. Will you believe that? Back to headship. Please understand that this kind of spiritual leadership is not in isolation. It's always alongside your wife. Men, we should always make difficult and simple decisions with the full counsel of our wives. Being the head of our home does not imbue us with infallibility and rightness. I'm wrong a lot. And the person who sees that closest is Kim. I hate that. That wasn't funny. She's so gracious and forgiving though. Gentlemen, Husbands, the most valuable help you need, the most valuable help you should seek is counsel and insight from your wife. Submission includes open conversations between husbands and wives. When Kim disagrees with my headship and leadership, she tells me about it. We talk about these things. And as I said last time, oftentimes at the end of this, she says, look, I'm I'm going to follow your lead on this, Rick, but the, and that's what the Lord is calling me to do, but he's going to hold you responsible for this decision, so I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> then I always flip <laughs> and make the other decision. We bear each other's burdens in Galatians 1. That's certainly true of husbands and wives. Doug Wilson said this. I thought this was helpful for one phrase, two words. Meditating on this is very valuable, a very valuable thing for husbands to do because the husband is the head of the wife. He finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. Inescapable leadership. You can't worm your way out of this, man. Inescapable leadership. He cannot successfully refuse to lead. If he attempts to abdicate in some way, he may, through his rebellion, lead poorly. 
But no matter what he does or where he goes, he does so as the head of his wife. This is how God designed marriage. So ladies, how are you doing in submission to your husbands? Are you demonstrating to your husband, to your family, to your children, to the world, to your Lord, that you understand God's good and ordained order in marriage? And men, how easy and joyfully have you made it to follow your leadership? the leadership God gave you. Single men, this doesn't transform you into a leader and a head when you say, I do. Can I encourage you to be chivalrous and godly and deliberate in the way you're giving protection and care and leadership to all the women in your lives, including your mom, your sisters first. Listen, being the head speaks more to the husband's responsibility than it does to his rule. How you doing? You know, I literally bathed in this all week and talked to Kim about it. And I see redeeming grace in the way that the Lord has changed me as a husband. But wow, do I have a long ways to go. And I don't think we're ever going to get there until the Lord calls us home. And then marriage will not be in heaven. We still need to be on the improvement cycle of recognition and repentance. So the last question when should a wife submit to her husband? When should, I mean, what's the context for this? Verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. We're going to explore the expansion of what everything means and also the contraction and the limitations of what that means next week. And I promise you, next week will be very, very practical. Father, thank you for the grace of marriage and the grace of this text. Give us as husbands insight into how we should be better heads of our household. Give us as wives how we can be better to follow, to submit, to counsel, to care. This is a difficult topic to thread a needle through. But we believe your word and want to apply it for your glory, for our good, and for a picture of the gospel that can be portrayed to the world because of our Christian marriages. So many questions left. Father, help us to iron out those wrinkles next week and in the coming ones. In Jesus' name, amen.